Welcome to this bonus episode. One quick caveat, the audio quality, um, I, we were experiencing technical issues with the microphone, one of the microphones, which leads to a odd tick throughout the recording. Uh, but I still promise you, and I, this, this interview was just too good to miss and too good to leave out from the collection. So um, just bear with it, and I hope it doesn't turn you off from what we're doing here. Um, really, this conversation is very special. Um, after listening to our guest, Nathan Orozco, a mixed media artist out of Portland, we hope you enjoyed that show. We hope you enjoyed that interview. Um, he had a lot of deep discussion about his roots, his Mesoamerican roots, his indigenous roots. And, and, and a lot of his advice was to, to tap into your indigeneity. To further that discussion, I decided to invite a, a special guest by the name of Alexis Jacqueline Sanchez. She's joining us out of Austin, Texas. So Alexis was just featured in a photo series by Madison Rosenbaum, Tales from Home. Uh, which is documented people's current reality during the age of COVID-19 and sheltering in place. Um, so we saw Alexis on there, but uh, before then we were already discussing and having a conversation because Alexis just happens to be um, one of very few people that are related to the 9,000-year-old, nearly 9,000-year-old skeletal remains known as the Kennewick Man, which are the oldest remains in the in North America. Um, so, you know, we'll talk about the history in a minute. That's, that's what we got. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for agreeing to do this. It means a lot. Um, I mean, you know, we're obviously in our early episodes. We're only five episodes in. And uh, it just happened that you just popped up in the right, right place, right time um, related to, you know, Black Lives Matter, um, racism in America, but then also the indigenous and tapping into indigeneity um, with my previous uh, guest. So, you know, the, the stars aligned and, and, and there you are. But uh, so Alexis, uh, so you, were you born in the Tri-Cities? Yeah, I was born in Pasco. Okay. Okay. And when did you move away? Uh, this time, <laughs> I moved to Austin um, in May of last year. Okay, so, so what do you do over there? Um, I'm a nurse. I'm trying to get into music business. I'm doing a master's in music business right now. Dope, nice. nice. What do you want to do with that? Um, I've been doing some artist management. I don't know. I like marketing and branding. Okay. So. We'll okay, see. Okay. I really want to focus on what my values are with especially like the whole Black Lives Matter has really like made me think about that and I want to be a change and I've always have wanted to be a change but I never really knew how I could and this has all like sparked some ideas for me so. Yeah so do you want to find something that's already established or like start your own indie company? Um, I have my own business um, called Electric Management, but I am working with another female um, Mexican. She was born in Mexico, actually. She has her own business, artist management business. So, okay. 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 Yeah. And I thought that was so awesome because I've never seen a female or like Latina in a position of something I wanted to do. So. Well, she's a badass, I'm sure. I know. Yeah. Well, more power to you and good luck with that. That's, man, make it happen. We need more people. We need more people like you as well, you know, just leading the way, paving the way. I'm not sure there's a technical sound coming through. Oh, that might be me. Is there some? It might have been me. 
let's just let's just go with that. Uh, <laughs> all right, so let yeah, let's let's break into. It. I don't know if you have much time. Um, it'd be nice to just chat about yeah, uh, you know why a guest. So Alexis, do you consider yourself an artist? Yes. I'm yeah. An artist. Okay. Tell me what kind of artist you are. Um, I paint and I play music and. I just like anything creative, so perfect, I'm an perfect. Well, welcome to our show. That's that's perfect. Um, so my guest Nathan Orozco um, talked about you know really tapping into indigeneity. He, as a Texan himself, traveled you know made himself through a pilgrimage all the way to Washington State. Took a big leap of faith to go to a master's program at Washington State University, and from there. Um, became his uh, became a professor and and has taught, but also has practiced the art of creation, you know, through drawing, through uh, ceramic, through metal casting, and now is doing some wonderful pieces that that um, require him to just tap into this meditative state. And what he describes it is it's like really getting in tune and in touch with with who you are deep down inside and just kind of allowing the mediums to speak to one another. And he's working with mediums that don't necessarily match up, but he's making a mesh in such beautiful ways. And you can see where, you know, the industrial uh, community that he grew up in is, is kind of within, it's like interwoven in that art, but also like you can see some native American like weave in it. You can see some ceramic from like those Southwestern native ceramic pieces that you, you associate with living in Texas in the Southwest. But yeah, one thing that he just mentioned is that you have to tap into to your identity. You have to like develop your identity of your art through research. You know, you got to find out who you are. It, it's, it's missing in a lot of artist practice, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where we finding out where we come from, who our contemporaries are, you know, what, where we're going as people. Um, and he does that, does that um, almost against the grain in Portland, Oregon now, where, where he teaches and where he does his art and where he shows his work. Um, so with us on this bonus episode is Alexis Jacqueline Sanchez out of Austin, Texas. And Alexis was featured in photographer Madison Rosenbaum's Tales from Home series, I think, who is, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, one of our mutual uh, acquaintances. Um, and she, and so Madison is documenting people's uh, current reality in the age of COVID-19 and sheltering in place, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and it really, you know, Alexis, I found her via, uh, you know, some mutual friends, and, but also through the Black Lives Matter movement. And we'll get into that pretty soon. But really, the other thing that really brings Alexis on our show for this bonus episode is that she is related to the oldest, I guess, skeletal remains ever found in North America. Um, we, you might know him as the Kennewick Man, you might know him as the Ancient One, but uh, Alexis is, through uh, genetic testing, we found out, or she found out, not we, but she found <laughs> out uh, that she is the closest living ancestor or, or relative of, of this ancestor of ours. All right, a little side note about Kennewick Man, the Ancient One, a believed an alleged 9,000-year-old uh, skeletal remains found off the coast of the Columbia River in Kenwick, Washington. The story goes that a couple of college kids um, found the skeletal remains, which led to, uh, you know, obviously them being exhumed out of the ground and then studied under the coroner and an archaeologist that was under contract from the coroner. Um, and so they initially thought that the bones were old, not native, and he described them as Caucasoid, which is a very dated term. Um, apparently, archaeologists use the term Caucasoid 
mongoloid or um, or negroid, which um, some people might find offensive. I know I do. Anyways, all right. So uh, so for original carbon dating, told us that the skeletal remains were roughly or older than nine thousand years old, making it the oldest and most complete skeleton in North America. Subsequent tests uh, and more accurate tests finally reveal that the skeletal remains are about 8,400 to 8,690 years old. Uh, a group of scholars representing the Army Corps of Engineers sued the federal government so as to not return the remains to the tribes as required by the Native American Graves Protection and Reparation Act. Uh, Washington and Oregon tribes then represented the federal government, so they joined together to fight the suit. In 2004, Circuit Court of Appeals, they upheld that the remains could not be identified as native, which allowed for studying. Um, could you imagine if you're native and you truly believe that th that the skeletal remains believed to be 9,000 years old are now going to be disrespected? So 2014, a doctor, a Smithsonian physical anthropologist named Dr. Owsley, and he was a plaintiff in the case, by the way, found that the skeleton study indicated it wasn't a Native American in affinity, but one more closely related to circum-Pacific circum groups such as the Ainu or Polynesians. Um, but a year later, the University of Copenhagen geneticist by the name of Dr. Dr. Villerslev and a colleague released findings in the scientific journal Nature uh, after sequencing the genome of the ancient one. Um, they compared it to worldwide genomic data, and they found that Kenwick Man was more closely related to modern Native Americans than any other living population. So this began the process of returning the remains, and they were then reburied in a private ceremony and location. According to the traditions of the involved tribes, uh, the remains were never displayed. A little bit about Kenwick Man, and now let's continue the show. I wouldn't say closest, but... I am related. I'm descended. I'm sure there's plenty of us around. <laughs> yeah, but to, to this point, you're probably one of one of very few, right? I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> I would love <laughs> to find yeah. out. Everyone do your DNA test and let me know. <laughs> and so, you know, through this um, ancestry genetic testing, um, you know, it's, it seems like there's like over 5 million people uh, that have done this testing and um, you know it's it's kind of crazy cool can you tell us more about that experience and we'll just kind of go from there um so yeah. this actually started in like 2013 or 2014 because I grew up in the Tri-Cities and I had just recently bought a house in like South Kennewick and so the library was literally right down the street from me walked in and at that time, they were displaying the Kennewick Man bust. And I literally walked in and, like, stopped dead in my tracks because I saw this bust, and he looked just like my dad. First of all, like, <laughs> normally statues, they, they're white people. <laughs> right. So first, like, I looked at it and first was taken aback. Well, obviously, first taken aback that it looked like my dad. But then I was like, wait, what? First, what did my dad do? And two, like... I need to know what this is about because it's not like a white statue person like 
from the history books. Yeah, and so this is a bronze bust that was probably on land, or maybe maybe it, it was owned by the Kennewick Library, right? But these, yeah. you know, I've seen a picture of your father, and I've seen that bust, and it is an uncanny resemblance. Like, it's, <laughs> a, it's a sculpture of him, right? Right, and I, I mean, like, if it's his own daughter, who my dad's, like, I'm my dad's daughter. If I thought it was my dad, like, that's saying something. It's not just some random person. Like, oh, that kind of looks like that that one guy I saw. So like, that's what shocked me. And I joked with him because my dad lives in Kennewick. So I was like, oh, like I had heard about it growing up that they found this skeleton during the boat races. And then it kind of just like fizzled out and you didn't hear anything about it anymore. And come to find out later that there was a lot of legal issues going on. They were saying it was a white guy at first. And then they were trying to fight against the natives to get the bones. And then the natives won in the end after the genetic testing. And that's why we have the DNA. Um, but it was weird. So in 2013 or 14, I can't remember. Um, I had taken that picture and posted on Instagram, like next to my dad. And it was a big joke because I'm like, it freaking looks like you. <laughs> and so Fast forward to last year, I want to say, either 2018, 2019. I'm not sure. But they had just updated. I had had my dad do the DNA test because for the longest time, I've been trying to figure out my dad's side. My mom's white, like 100% European. And my mom's cousin is Mormon. So she like traced that shit. All the, sorry, can I cuss? Can I say shit? You can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> but anyway, I traced that back to um, my my mom's cousin traced my mom's side back all the way to the Vikings. Like that's ridiculous. Wow. Cool. Yeah, yeah because yeah. apparently the Vikings got with the royal family, and so that was all like traced back. But I just was so sad that I didn't know my dad's side. I think we could only get back to like my great great grandpa. And I actually went to Mexico and was trying to like the genealogy and like the research and I went and I was like this is going to be great because they keep great records those Catholics and then I was told that at that time the Spanish and French had churches when they were destroying all the like the actual indigenous people's lives like they just destroyed their communities so it made me really sad because like my grandpa doesn't remember his grandpa's name, uh, doesn't know any of the history. The churches were burnt down. Like there's no records at all. Mm. So I kind of felt like stuck. I went to the cemetery. I was trying to like figure stuff out. And like the furthest I can go back is a guy named Salome Sanchez. And he, I think was in the 1800s. Not sure exactly. That's like my great, great grandpa. Mm -hmm. but so then I made my dad I made him actually <laughs> he was like I don't believe in this witchcraft <laughs> <laughs> but I had him do the DNA test and um, so it just came back saying he was native and that his people had traveled down the Oregon coast and so I don't know I, I was kind of struggling with my identity of because then I started researching about like Mexican history and realized, like, even though you know, kind of, like, it's a big joke, at least for my dad, like, oh, you're an Indian, you're an Indian, but it's, like, not even a good way. Mm -hmm. um, Almost in a derogatory way, yeah, right? Yeah, like, you're dark, oh, you're Indio, Indio, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I kind of knew that, but like, I didn't know the real history, but I started watching these documentaries, um, on YouTube mm-hmm. and I was shocked. Like they don't teach you this in American history that America pretty much destroyed Mexico and they still are like taking advantage and like, it's their neighbor. They should be helping that country and oh, they're absolutely. just taking and taking and then blaming and blaming and they're the bad people. Um, but yeah, if you haven't checked out Mexican history, like I suggested, it's super fascinating. Like, Was it something on YouTube? Is that what it's called? Uh, I just Googled Mexican history and it was through like PBS, I want to say. Okay, okay. PBS did something. Boy, there you go. So Everyone like three, check it out. Yeah, it was like three different episodes. Um, if I find it, I'll send it to you. Maybe you can link it. That's we'll perfect. Well, well, yeah, you're, you're, you are, you know preaching to everyone's choir right now and you know maybe some people are just realizing this but you know we we don't have written history um you know we we weren't you know they say that the victor writes the history books but it seems like if if i could trace back i only know up to my grandparents right maybe great grandparents on one side of the family but besides that the history's lost Mm -hmm. you know there aren't photographs there aren't any records um, it's, it's really difficult to trace back and really know where you come from. And, you know, when we talk about race in America and how African-Americans feel like, Hey, you, I can't trace back to who I am. Like mm-hmm. this sucks. Like, you know who you are. I don't know. I have no idea who I am. So it's yeah. almost kind of eerie. It's sad, but at the same time, it's an opportunity now to just really start recording that mm-hmm. and identifying who you are. So you know who, where, where you want to be, where you want to go in the future. Right. It's, it's, a Thank you for saying those words because I hope more people can relate to it and I hope we can mm-hmm. really progress from there. It's an opp- a chance, to, an opportunity, I guess. And it's, to me, it was so shocking when I found out as related to the Kennewick man, the ancient one, is that like it was happening all during when Trump was building this wall and, and like at the same time, like here in the United States, I feel like even the racist racist people like oh indians native americans they're part of like our history Mm -hmm. like they forget all the bad stuff but they're like yes we respect those native americans but then they tell us to go back to where we came from which this was our land they don't really get that we're native american too and just because the spanish and the french came and conquered us and there was borders split now what we're we've been taking our culture has been taken away twice And so it just, it hurts my heart that like, once I realized this, I felt like I can be proud of like who I am because it's been a struggle for me growing up because I'm half white and half Mexican. And even my own dad told me, he was like, you know, you need to never speak Spanish. Don't hang out with Mexicans. And like, because then you'll end up in a gang and like, even he's brainwashed. And, like, he's trying to protect me by being more white. And yeah. by that, like, I lose my culture. I lose. Sorry, I'm getting all emotional. No, no, please do. Speak from the heart. <laughs> no, I, I love it. And, I, and, you know, I'm sure everyone can relate to a certain way. And I hope you can connect with some people's hearts because it's, it's totally not. Many of us have gone through that experience, you know, in some way or another, whether it be, um, insinuated whether it be direct indirect you know there's just so much assimilation to try to fit in and it seemed like 
you know, your father must have gone through some one hell of a trauma, traumatic episodes to have to, you know, to, to do that to you. Cause, cause it's general, it sounds generational to me. Oh yeah. And just how he talks like as a joke that the darker you are, like you're black or you're an Indian, like that's a bad word. Mm-hmm. And it's like this, all of colonization has done this all over the world. Like I hear it in Europe. They're like having the same issues and it's just sad and it needs to change. And this, since this has all started this whole like revolution, I feel like it's made me very emotional, like happy and sad at the same time, because it brings up emotions that I didn't really fully understand growing up. Yeah. And it's helpful, but at the same time, it's all hitting me at once and it's complicated, I guess you would say. <laughs> no, I've been, I mean, and it is, you know, I remember for me, it was indirectly, you know, and I remember being six or seven years old, barely starting elementary school. And all my friends started wearing their hair back because their older brothers and sisters were, you know, slicking back their hair in LA. And I was like, oh man, that's, you know, I guess that's, that's what we do. And that's cool. You know, like I want to be like all these older <laughs> kids. And my mom, you know, I remember her brushing my hair one morning and says, hey, si te penas el pelo para atrás, you know, like you're going to break my heart. I'm going to be heartbroken mm-hmm. and I'm going to be so sad and all, you know, and I, I can remember that moment and I didn't really realize what it did to me. Right. And then also when I was like 11 or 12 and I realized that we moved to Washington state and no one could pronounce Saul, you know, one could say the name <laughs> Saul in this mostly Anglo town. So I'm like, dad, what do I do? His name is Saul. And he's like, well, just say your name is Saul. I wish he would have said like, no, like hang on to your name and teach them how to say it. But as I said, so like he, he's like, say, say Saul, your name is Saul. And so for years, you know, for like five years, I went by Saul, like four years. And it was in college when I'm like, damn, why am I saying Saul? Like, you know, like, that's not cool. I need to find my identity. I need to know who I am. And I need to be proud of that, you know, but like those little things, those, they, they build up and assimilation's haunting. So I'm going to tell you something that I heard from an artist and I thought it was the most beautifully way to describe where we're at. So she said, she's Asian. And uh, she says that you spend your life assimilating or trying to assimilate to, to fit in. And so what happens is you start hiding your identity, hiding your identity, hiding your identity to the point where like, it's like looking in a mirror and you no longer see your reflection. You become a monster. You become Dorian Gray. You become a vampire and you can't even see yourself. That's exactly how I feel. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, whoo. Like when I heard that, I'm like, thank you for describing it that way. Cause I guess I I hadn't thought about it that deeply and and it just touched me so much. I was just like, ooh, like I I yeah, now I repeat it constantly. Like it makes so much sense. Yeah, and then if you think about it, like, especially black people, like you they change their hair to look more white, lighten their skin, like even I don't know. Well, uh, we do too, right? We I've dyed my hair. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I dyed it blonde. But who's getting that money? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's the white person who's making money off of making you feel terrible about yourself. <laughs> oh, profitization, absolutely. I mean, I think the system is is designed that way to take all our money to make us feel like we can't ever catch up. We can't ever live the American dream. Right. We've I've talked about that in former episodes where Norman Rockwell to me, I don't know if you know the painter, but I always obsessed over that since I was in middle school. I'm like, oh, I want that picture perfect, you know, Thanksgiving dinner. I want that picture perfect Christmas. But, you know, I realized that I would never be there. 
And it wasn't until uh, the, the interview with Jake Brennis where he's like, I'm painting these Latino 2020 versions of these Norman Rockwell paintings with Latinos <laughs> in them. And I'm like, thank you. You just made my dreams come true. I'm living them now, right? Um, so, but, but you're right. Uh, you know, the, the system is designed to really keep us at bay, you know? And, and so when it feels like when everyone's like, oh, you just pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Oh, you just, you know, it's the American, it's the American way to be able to lift yourself up. Everyone has opportunity, but the system isn't really designed that way. And, Mm -mm. and I'm glad what's going on right now. My mom doesn't understand it. My dad does. Um, But you know, just what people are fighting for, what the protests are all about. So tell us a little bit about, um, yeah, yeah. So your involvement either, or sorry, let's let's backtrack. Um, So I know that you've mentioned on, on social media, I don't know if you want to share any of your stories to kind of further the idea of, of racism in America, even growing up as to where it's at right now. Um, I don't know, like, if you want to chat about that a little bit. Oh, sure. Um, I mean, growing up, I hung out mostly with my mom. My dad worked a lot and my mom's white. So, I mean, it's a really interesting dynamic of that, but she was very aware of the racism. Obviously she's married to a Mexican. Um, (laughs) But her her dad, I believe, was born in Pasco as well. So it's been a long time that they've been in the Tri-Cities. And she told me that she remembers that sign on the Green Bridge, the Sundown Towns, and about Damn. east side of Pasco. She told me all that history. Like, I already knew that. So and for those like, who don't, sorry, sorry can we oh, rewind sorry. to the Sundown Town? You know, it's one of those terms that I didn't really know until recently. You know, it's just I had heard it and I thought it would meant something totally different. But for those people that don't know what a sundown town is, it essentially just means that once the sun goes down, uh, particular races are not allowed to to be in that space. So Kennewick, so so Kennewick is part of what you call the Tri Cities. It's Pasco, Kennewick, and Richland. And Kennewick and Richland both were sundown towns. So Asians, Latinos, Blacks, no minorities were allowed in those spaces after sundown. Correct. Yeah, and even Pasco, you had to be on the other side of the those tracks. The, the train tracks, right. Yeah. You had to be in the east side of Pasco. Yeah, and my dad even told me, like, he even knew this. I mean, he came to the Tri-Cities in, he was 17, I want to say, 18. I think it was in, like, early 80s, mm-hmm. maybe late 70s, early 80s, early 80s. But anyway, he told me, too, like, he would always, we would drive past uh that area past the railroad tracks i mean i grew up there too but a certain location he was like oh it's el barrio de los negros like everyone knew that like that's where the black people lived so i mean it's i wouldn't say that it was something that people didn't know if they grew up there but it's something nobody talked about so if anyone new moved in nobody would know like they're Mm -hmm. not going to talk about that yeah, there's this there's this really interesting thing that's still kind of very obvious in our community, and it's uh, that Pasco is still, you know, it's uh, the more affordable properties. It's mm-hmm. it's still it's still heavily minority compared to the other two cities. Um, mm-hmm. You can tell that things were designed that way, you know, to to force all people of color towards the uh, towards Pasco. You know, the more industrial, the more um, rural community right Mm -hmm. and that leads into another situation which i think you might have read on my facebook but 
I'd posted another situation that in high school, um, I was dating this guy and he lived in Richland, um, which is primarily white people that live there. And I lived in Pasco and I went to Pasco High School and he went to Hanford High, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I, w- I was dating him through a mutual friend. Um, and like, that's how we met. And so we're dating for a while. I think it was probably two months that we were dating and I had been over to his house, met his parents. And I mean, I pass, I look like I could be white, like depending on how I dress or whatever. Mm -hmm. And especially how I talk since I couldn't ever speak Spanish or hang out with Mexicans. (laughs) But, um, so I went over there and I was, they loved me. They actually, they acted like they liked me. I mean, that's what I thought. And, but the mom would always be on me when she found out I lived in Pasco and she was like, you need to be a good influence on my son. So this kid, Damn. like drinking already, this kid mm-hmm. was having sex already. Mm-hmm. I was a virgin and I'd never done drugs. Mm-hmm. And I was, I graduated 14th in my class out of 400 some students. Yeah, so absolutely. Like, she was saying this to me, I'm like, what? Like I was offended, <laughs> but I was like, maybe she just says that to everyone. I don't know. But one day my dad came to pick me up. My mom had been coming to pick me up. He picked me up because he was in town, not working. And this lady like freaked out. She's like, oh my God, oh my God, who is this? Why are they knocking on my door? Who is this? And then I looked out the window. I thought she was just being like crazy. Like Mm -hmm. she was uppity and weird. And I was like, oh, that's my dad. And she's like, oh. And so then I got a phone call later and was told never to call back to that house and that I couldn't like ever come back over. And I was so confused. I was like, I was like, wait, we were totally cool. And I didn't know what had happened. I honestly did not think it was racism. I didn't. I was oh, so no. shocked because that's yeah. my dad. And I found out through my, our mutual friend. She was like, Alexis, like his parents are racist. Like that's what happened. And I was like, dang. <laughs> yeah, my blood's boiling right now, even though it's, it's probably happened years ago, right? It, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, I live in that community. So it's, it's but it's evident. I mean, we live on the east side of Washington, very rural community, very Republican, right? So it's still here. It's, it's, it's either, I mean, it's, it's not blatant, but it's, it's yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, she, she straight up told me, she was like, you go to Pasco High, that's a dangerous school. Like, I don't want you bringing any trouble over here. And she, she told her son in front of me that I don't want you going to Pasco because you're going to get stabbed. I was like, what? <laughs> the stig- and it hasn't disappeared. That stigma is still there. I mean, especially the east side of Pasco. You know, like yeah. what stories do you hear? I was, you know, I, I've only lived here nine years. And that was the first thing I probably heard, you know, just oh, avoid east Pasco. And, and now I work with those people. And I, it's predominantly like just a beautiful community. You just have mm-hmm. to you open your eyes. Get, yeah, I have to I open your eyes like- wide. I was a lifeguard and I would work in the East. Well, the pool is now since shut down, but it was a Kurtzman pool and right next to the Martin Luther King center. And like, I ran that pool Hmm. for like years and I knew all the people, all the kids were cool. Like it was the chillest pool and Memorial pool in Pasco. Yeah. in Pasco, but on go. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know the other pools. But that was majority like white kids and stuff came 
there's there's a mix there but like white kids would not go to kurtzman like that's Mm. black and brown (laughs) of course but it was so much chiller and nice at that pool like i would never have to yell at the kids (laughs) like they they would come every day they knew me and i mean i don't know it's just stereotyping and yeah of course of course so so let's talk about stereotype that's a good segue into you know the current state of events you know obviously with uh george floyd and before that the the many many bodies that have stacked up have led to protests begging asking no longer begging we we're demanding um you know as minorities to to just stop with the senseless violence stop with the stigma of of us being portrayed mainly black people but i mean think minorities white people everyone's kind of in agreement that that people of color are portrayed as more violent as more of a threat to the community and you know we are the other i guess you know in historically in any kind of situation the other has been more intimidating because people don't understand right we we are perceived as as a threat just simply for our differences and the most obvious difference is skin and and unfortunately you know uh, that's the argument but black people brown people natives asians we've been in the united states for hundreds of years now and and it's still the same story it is still the same story but it's time it's time for for us not to be complicit mm-hmm. and complacent so tell us your involvement with Black Lives and, and your perception of it all. Um, so I've always had this stance because I've seen my, how the cop, like there's eight cops once that held my dad at gunpoint on the ground. Oh yeah. Tell us, tell us more. Yeah. yeah. Go into that story real quick. So my dad, my sister had a swim meet that day and she forgot her swimsuit in his car because my parents were divorced at that time. So she needed her swimsuit. And my dad was like, okay, I'll meet you at the pool. My mom had dropped her off. I was going to, maybe I dropped her off. I think I dropped her off. We were driving there though. And some cops just flew past me. And I was like, dang, like a bunch of cops. And so the, the Kennewick City pool that we were going to is right next to the Kennewick Police Department. And so I was like, dang, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through because the cops have this street blocked off because I was going to the pool. So I pull over to let my sister out and I realize that there's a person face down on the ground in the concrete. And then I look further and it's my dad and I look around and I see, I count the cops. All of them have guns, eight of them, eight, drawn, pointing at him, no weapons, hands behind his back on the ground. They're yelling at him still, freaking out. And I run up, like, I'm glad I didn't get shot. (laughs) I run up to the cop. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, because I know my dad, he's going to drop the swimsuit off. Like, even if he, like, had a taillight out or he sped, like, really eight cops with guns. Like, what the heck? So I run up to the cop. He's like, ma'am, stay back. This is dangerous. I'm like, yeah, it's dangerous. There's eight cops with guns. What the heck? And he's like you need to scoot back. I was like, no, that's not, that's my dad. I am not leaving. Like you need to tell me what's going on. And so then he's like, Oh, okay, come here. And then he starts interrogating me about this car he's driving. And I'm like, he did not steal that car. Like I know whose car that is. And, um, 
anyway, so I, they finally let him go after, I think, like 40 minutes. They, they let my sister get her swimsuit out of the car. <laughs> or, no, they, go, they grab the swimsuit and bring it to her. Yeah. But anyway, he gets out of the car, and I finally ask him, I'm like, what the heck just happened? And he was like, oh, they just said that they made a typo on the license plate. Oh, yuck. I'm like, a typo? Like, really? Like, and they need eight cops. And right. mind you, my dad is a business owner. Mm-hmm. And, like, I told him, I was like, you think they'd be doing that to a white business owner? Like, oh, no. No, I, no, no. I would have never seen that. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> and so I have told friends that. And, like, you get those racist ones who are clueless. I don't know. <laughs> But they're like, anyone would have done that. They were just, that car, the, the number they typed in was someone stole a car and they might have a gun. I'm like, okay, but he didn't. And mm-hmm. he was on the ground. You need eight cops with their guns pointing at him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, once he's subdued, I mean, he can back yeah. off. What's he going to like, do? <laughs> exactly. Like break but, dance fight out of it? Like it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just shocked. And so I asked my dad, I was like, well, so are you going to go to the news? Are you going to sue him? And he was like, no. And I was like, why? And he was like, well, I have a business in this town, so yeah. I don't want any trouble. And, like, that's how they get away with it. Like, right. if it was a white guy who had a business, he would have gone to the freaking news and would have sued this town. Mm, I just like, pictured my dad being harassed that way. And, man, like, he, like, I got teary-eyed. I got, like, my blood is boiling again. Like, my goodness. But like, it's like I've always seen that, so... I mean, I've never really been able to talk about it, which is frustrating too. And I can understand how like black people feel. Yeah. Um, but I think what is more difficult for me is that like black people have their community and like most Latin people have their community. Mm-hmm. But like me being like totally pulled out of that because my dad said you need to be as white as possible. Mm-hmm. Like I've had no one to talk to about this stuff. And when I do tell people, because I'm trying to be their white buddy and like say it to the white people, they're just like, like, that's, that's not a thing. Like, I think you're overreacting. Yeah. And that just upsets me even more. So Uh I feel like I've been deprived of culture, my Mexican culture. I've been deprived of my native culture Mm -hmm. and like, it's shamed. It's like in this country, it's a shame. But guess what? They can go fly to Mexico and go to Cancun on a resort, or they can go eat some Mexican food. But like, build that wall, though. Build it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I think you are traditionally Chicana, right? You're stuck in a fence. I mean, on this fence, on this line where you're 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 towing the line, and you're not quite here. Not you're not quite there, and you feel like you're always playing catch up. You know. I, I like the term pocho too. Like I own it, you know, I'm, I'm like the pochoist guy that I know. Just because, exactly? I uh, pocho just know. means that like, it's, it's usually associated with like not being able to speak Spanish correctly. So like mm-hmm. it's, it's that, okay. it's a derogatory term, term for that. So, so yeah, I own it. Yeah. Pocha. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, uh, and you know, and, and your conversation about how, how they keep us at bay is I don't know if you saw it, but I shared on social media, a post a long, you know, it's a, it's a quote that's, that's very old, um, but it still rings true. And it's like, it's by Edward James Olmos and his portrayal of Jaime Escalante, 
stand and deliver. And I love the line. It says, there'll be no free rides. There'll be no excuses. You already have two strikes against you, your name and your complexion, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. that's always going to be true until things change. And I think, you know, your father being treated that way and, and the countless uh, people that will continue to be treated that way uh, because of the you know, people in power, it's a shame. And, and I don't know if you've been protesting, but. Uh, oh yeah, I've been protesting too. Sorry, I didn't good. get that far into that discussion. Yeah, no, no. I mean, this conversation can go on and on because I think, <laughs> thank you for sharing your story again. It means a lot to me because I feel like you, you paint the idea that I'm not alone. And, and I'm, you know, and thank you for, for, for that, because it, it brings a little bit of, what do you call that? Um, closure, I guess, you know, it, it's, it's a closure to that shame, a closure to that stigma, a closure to that fear of, mm -hmm. of not really knowing where to go from there. And I guess the only way to go there is up. I mean, we have to keep discovering, we have to keep tapping into that history that isn't written, that history that we're deprived of. Um, mm -hmm. it's there we just have to keep digging and what what's not there we I, that doesn't matter like, let's just let's just make something beautiful out of it you know mm -hmm. and like I could go on with these like racist things like mm -hmm. it's sad because I know that I pass so I feel for people who are darker than me because I'm half white like I can pass by that little schmidgen like obviously my last name, I've been profiled by cops with the vehicle I've dri dri driven and mm -hmm. my last name. They just run the plates, see my car. Those are my two strikes already. Oh, Guess yeah. what? When I roll down my window, I'm in my scrubs with my nurse badge on and I look white as hell. I saw that cop's face. He was very like shocked. He was just like, oh my <laughs> gosh, <laughs> what did I do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He couldn't even give me a reason why he pulled me over. They had to sit in a car for 30 minutes to figure out, oh, it was because I didn't have mud flaps at three in the morning coming home from work after a 12-hour shift. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what they do. And I've been in those situations where they're looking for a reason to, like, have a reason to, to tell me to my face, like, oh, yeah, by the way, your uh, license plate light is out. It's like, can I get out and check it out? Because I'm pretty sure it still works. And they're like, no, no, no. And, you know, and they go from there. It's just like, oh, you guys, you guys yeah. suck sometimes. Yeah, um, he threatened me too to leave because mm -hmm. I questioned him. I was like, "Oh, really? So you're gonna pull me over at three in the morning for that?" Mm -hmm. When I've been driving this for two years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even the hospital. I worked at Cadillac, so on the white side of Tri Cities, and mm -hmm. very few minorities. I get so many patients who are straight up racist, like people with like Nazi tattoos, and like even straight up saying to me like. You guys are treating me like a Mexican or mm. yeah. I'm like, oh, did, so you sh a Mexican should be treated different? Like what? Meh. And then saying stuff like, oh, you Mexicans are taking my job. Like he didn't know I was Mexican, but when yeah. the other nurse and the CNA came in, he was like, oh, how do you feel about them taking all our jobs? I was like, oh, like, did I take your job? I didn't know you wanted to be a nurse. And he was like <laughs> taken aback, like, oh, you're Mexican? Shit. <laughs> yeah let's see that nursing degree buddy <laughs> oh man it's like uh, it's so frustrating on both sides because like when i am tan in the summer like i get it but if i'm not and like i pass because i have light eyes too then mm -hmm. oh like you're my buddy be racist with me i'm like dude do you know me do you know my last name do you know who i am like, yeah 
No. So I had to tell a biracial student recently, you know, I'm like, I, I know you're kicking yourself around, you're kicking your own butt, just just uh, trying to make sense of this world and where you fit in. You think you're 50% brown, 50% black, but in reality, you're 100% black, 100% brown. That makes that gives you a superpower. Like really, if you can just look at it that way and realize that you can code switch and find your qualities that best fit your situation. If you look at it as a positive, then things might turn around for you because then you can really, really tap into those things needed. And you're a major benefit to community, to society, right? Like if you find yourself in the right position, um, working with people, working for your community, you can definitely just kick some butt if you just look at it as a superpower. Heck yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. Like, I've already told people, like, there's no more nice Alexis. Like, I grew up with my parents pretty much telling me, like, if you just are quiet, especially as a female too, like, just stay quiet and be good and don't like speak up on things like just be quiet you'll skate by fine and you'll do good Mm -hmm. and like I used to do that and like it just frustrated me and there's no more nice Alexis so I'm sorry if you want to delete me off your Facebook or don't want to talk to me or be my friend anymore I really don't care so Mm. That's a good attitude to have as long as you don't forget who you are, right? Like you, yeah. you can, you can, you can evolve. You have to change if, if, you know, adaptation is part of life um, and, and you have to survive. So if you realize things aren't really working for you, I don't, don't lose that inner self that you are, but mm-hmm. definitely do things to be heard. You know, what is it? Quiet mouths don't get fed. You know, <laughs> sometimes you just have to speak up and I, I get it too. I was a bashful, the most timid kid in high school. I'm sure if any of my high school friends listening to this are like, they're going to be like, what the heck he talks, you know, like <laughs> I, I was really, I was, I was quiet and shy and as nice as can be, but you, so you have my to. question to you is why were you like that? I have a simple answer. Um, oh, my sisters are going to love this answer. Um, I had three sisters that were vocal as heck. Um, they just, <laughs> You know, the, the the oldest one, my dad always laughs at, like at the age of two, she started talking and she never stopped. And then like my second oldest sister was equally the same. They could chat forever. My little sister was, was, was that way to a certain extent, but that left no space for me to chat at all. Like I, I just, <laughs> yeah, so I sat back and listened, sat back and listened to girl problems mostly, you know, and, and I absorbed that. I was much younger than them. And at some point, I'm like, yeah, I guess I don't have to talk. And then my shyness, my bashfulness. Also, I have a skin disorder. So, like, you know, I'm half white, too, in a different way. Um, <laughs> it's called vitiligo. <laughs> and I think that really put me in a shell. Just not really, like, be, being embarrassed of my skin tone and, and, and all those other things that came about with not really um, identifying or feeling capable of identifying as a true Latino. Because, A, I didn't talk enough to, to – and then, like, I forgot all my Spanish for a long time like like I just I, I forgot my all my English really to be honest but <laughs> I was so shy um but that really put me in a really awkward really timid space I don't know it was just a lot of internal struggle for me in in a, in, in some relatable ways and some not I guess but all that yeah yeah I had I had a break out of it I, I at some point I'm like why the heck am I like this how am I like this I gotta change and and that's where like community college really helped. And then four-year college was awesome. It really broke me out of my shell. 
I really find it interesting, like talking about the vitiligo, because I honestly think it looks fucking cool. Sorry, Custy. <laughs> like, it makes you unique, and yeah. like, it's you. And it goes back to skin and looking at skin to define people. Like, I think that's really interesting. That, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. why can't you be unique? Why? Yeah, and I think I think I'm the older I get, the more I like it, the more I love it. Um, you know, and, and it's still there's moments where I'm like I catch myself like oh, I'm staring at myself, you know, like and sometimes in good ways, sometimes in bad. And so I'm working, you know, I'm working through that struggle. That's that's a whole different skin conversation to have about, you know, yeah, skin but it's disorders. But, it's very like Yeah, no, no, you have to be. You have to be comfortable in your own skin. You have to, you know, and it takes time, I think, for everybody. You know, that's, I think it's the same thing for white people. They're like, oh, I wish I was more tan. I wish I had curly hair. I wish I had straight hair. I wish, I, oh, I had blue eyes. I wish I had green eyes, right? Like it's, it's, I think it's a struggle that we all have is, is the appearance. Mm-hmm. But, but beyond the superficial, I think it's important to really tap into, uh, you know, just having a little bit more empathy for one another, realizing that we're all kind of on the same struggle. If not, you know, just empathize, realize, like, like put yourself in the other person's shoes. It's not a new story. It's not a new, what do you call that? A new uh, fable, right? Like this mm-hmm. idea that we need to um, really talk less and listen more. And, 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 and I, but I like how you said that you, you're done listening. You're done being quiet. You're going to voice mm-hmm. your opinion. But, but I'm sure that comes with a lot of listening as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Cool, cool. Well, thank you for talking, and we—I'm sure we can talk on and on and on and on. I really appreciate this conversation. <laughs> Again, you've—you've you've made me feel just that much more confident on my own life path. Um, same, same. And I'll—I'll uh, I'll continue following you on social media, and and you know, if you ever want to chat again about this or or whatnot, you know, because um, is there a, okay? So I know you're not like you're not on the show particularly as an artist, um, but. I love that you're a creative and two questions, I guess. Who's your favorite artist? And secondly, who was the initial artist, whether it be music or visual arts, that made you realize that creativity is not just something pretty to look at, but it just, it can really touch your soul. That can, it can really connect with you emotionally. Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I have always just, my parents had a pallet business and they would drive me around picking up pallets. So I literally had this, the radio on since I can remember like talking and I would always sing and I'd be in the car listening to the music. So I've always just sing and my mom put me in music lessons really early. Um, so I've always done that, but I've never until I moved to Texas really saw anyone who looked like me playing music. And that really has always been an issue for me and like touched my soul because like, and not in a good way, because I never thought that I could be successful as a musician or an artist because I never saw anyone like me. So when I moved to Texas, um, to Austin in particular, I like met all of these amazing like people who looked like me. And I remember one night, we were all together in this like restaurant booth listening to music and the artist came down and sat with me and I just told them, I looked at them. I was like, Oh my gosh, can I just say thank you? Like I have never seen anyone who looks like me doing amazing things with music. 
And yeah. they kind of just looked at me because they were they grew up here in Austin where I'm sure there's a lot of people who look like them. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. Kind, of, <laughs> they kind of just looked at me and kind of laughed. And but it was like the moment where I was like, I can do this. Like this is amazing. And then speaking to the artist, um, when I moved here, I found out about this guy named David Ramirez and he's half white and half Mexican. And like his music is amazing. Like check him out, David Ramirez. Um, but like he hasn't been super successful. Like he has I don't think he's been able to get a like big label because they say he's not the look that they mm-hmm. want. Oh no. So yeah. And like I'm sure the last name too, just like Linda Ronstadt, like change your name, look different, like be American. And it's like, that's how we're treated. Like, we're still, it ties into everything. We're still being treated like that. How many Latinos, unless they're, like, doing reggaeton or, like, Spanish music, do you see? Right, unless you're catering to what they're looking for. Have you watched the Searching for Sugar Man? Yes. Uh, See, Rodrigo, you know, they they say, like, he was the next Bob Dylan, but we didn't need another Latino after Richie Valens, right? Exactly. So no one ever found out about him. But yeah, David Ramirez is amazing and all those other people, like it really opened my mind when I moved here last year. Like it's sad. It took just until last year and I'm 33 years old to be like, wow, there's people like me. Maybe I can do this. Oh man. I love that story so much because it it's the reason why Consafos is around. The you know, the reason behind this podcast is to help people like yourself, like me, like every other Chicano, Latinx, Chicanx, you know, person <laughs> walking, roaming these, these, this earth, you know, this nation and not really seeing themselves on a wall in music, etc. right? Whatever creative, whatever creative field you can think of, but we're, we're missing from that story and, and it's important. And, you know, don't you wish you would have found this 10 years ago? Yes. You know, 15 <laughs> years ago, what if you were still in high school? And heard oh, yourself yeah. on the radio. Not you, but like someone that looked, looked like you, sounded like you, right? Yes. And that's yes. what we need is just more of that to give people a little bit more courage to, to progress, you know? Give them hope. Yeah, and eventually, like, eventually I want to take this, like, my career to that. I would love to have, like, a label kind of that does artist management too, but, like, does programs for schools for people of color like mm-hmm. kids and be like look at you have access to all of this let's play around let's teach you let's show you some people who look like you who are actually successful and like what it takes to do that because like if i had that oh my gosh yeah like, well, I, like it just blows my mind oh man well thanks for sharing that because oh man I, I didn't realize i mean i'm glad you shared those exact words it's almost it, it's almost like that question was meant to be um, no, we didn't plant that question. No, she didn't. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you mind just sitting through this? Well, uh, for lastly, you know, thank, thank you so much for being on the show. I just want to say like, like, thank you. And I really appreciate yeah. your words. Thank you for having me.